Father, that is possible only because we have the assurance that we are, we are your children. And if God, God is for us, who can be against us? And I pray, Father, even as we meditate upon your word, I pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and increase that assurance and let us continue to enter into that rest every day of our lives. Labor to enter into that rest every day of our lives. So that, Lord, even, even if everything around us falls, O oh Lord, when every earthly prop gives way, you alone will be our hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sticking sand. I pray, Father, let that be the theme of our life, the anthem of our lives. Because, Lord, we do not have any continuing dwelling place in this in this side of eternity, O oh Lord. Our dwelling place, and we are looking up to the city. Whose builder and his maker is God. Father, I pray, Father, that you refocus our minds to that end of prayer this morning. Touch us, anoint us, to speak and to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I just want to look at a couple of verses before we go into the uh, meat of this message. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess or debauchery. And do not be drunk with wine and which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirits. How do we get filled with the spirit? And it gives us an exhortation. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How do we how do we fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit? It says, speak to one another. Psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Another parallel passage of Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Almost the same, but with a slight difference. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. How? One another in psalms and hymns and songs of worship with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he says two things. How do I get filled with the Spirit? Sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How does the word of Christ richly dwell in me? Sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God in your heart. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? So if faith has to arise, in other words, if if I if I walk by faith, I should have the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And one of the things that I have to do is sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this morning I'm going to sing a song to you. I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to read a song to you from the Psalter. Of the Bible, which is Psalm 95, okay, and um, it's a very strange psalm, very very strange psalm. It kind of, you know, ends in a in a, in a depressive note. I mean, we don't sing songs like that anymore, in, where songs end up in a depressive tone. Um, very famous song, and we sing uh, part of this in our worship. Doesn't. Uh, come always, always, I mean, we don't sing the complete song for obvious reasons. I'm going to show why. Uh, it says in Psalm 95 verse 1, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout a lot to the, shout a lot to the rock, to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. So he's extolling the God of creation and confessing that God is the one who brought everything that you see and not see into being through by the word of his power. And then of course after that song changes, there's typically a pause sometimes called what we call as a sailor. And this is what it says, come, 
We know the song very well. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. The flock under his care. Wow. You know, of that song, our song that we sing, we stop here. Because, But this song doesn't stop here. Look at what it says. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massa in the wilderness. When your ancestors tested me when, and when they tried me, though they had seen what I did for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray. By the way, they're singing all this. Okay, we are just reading it. Hebrew, they're singing it. Alright, have you ever seen a song like this, where their hearts go astray? The people whose hearts go astray and have not known my ways. It's like a song of a, a song, you know, Bevafa kind of a song. Literally, almost. I mean, so, God has been betrayed by his lover. Chesinanu premakshira sagaramadanam, ninginanu halahalam. This is exactly what is happening over here. I mean, I've, I've brought, brought children and I've loved them and I've betrothed myself to them and what they have done? They don't believe me. They harden their hearts. They are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on my oath, in my anger, on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Full stop, go home. That's the song. Interesting, no? So how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> with singing to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Oh, one of the things that we often listen from this pulpit is to rest in Him. And I was trying to find out what it is for myself. Okay, This is a study which I did for myself. And it's not complete, it's not exhaustive because it's one of the most exhaustive passages in the Bible. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to what, I wanted to know for myself what this theme is. What, what does it mean to enter into God's rest? When everything is going around, everything is falling apart, how can one find his proper place in the Lord and be at rest? And say with Moses, stand still and watch the salvation of the living God. How is it possible? Resting in him, that's what I want to look at. In order to understand this passage, of course, this passage, Psalm 95, is the one psalm which is used as an exposition in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. And by the way, if you read through the book of Hebrews, it alternates between exposition and exhortation. It exposits who Jesus Christ is. It exalts Christ above the angels and gives an exhortation and says we we have to pay more careful attention to the things that we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Okay, that's the first exposition along with an exhortation. And then he talks about uh, Christ Jesus coming in the form of a man, dying for us, being being made a little lower than the angels, dying for our sins, uh, purchasing our salvation, etc., etc., etc. And then it comes to chapter 3, where Christ is compared with Moses. Like we heard last time, the only person in the entire Bible, if, if you see in terms of faithfulness, who's been compared to Jesus Christ is, of course, Moses. And then after exalting Moses, I mean Jesus above Moses, there's another exhortation. There's an exposition of who Jesus is and there is an exhortation. And the exhortation continues through Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. And the theme of course is the theme rest. It appears 10 times and there are three connotations of what that particular rest is. And we will look at just one one of those rests today, this morning, in the time that we have. 
So let us look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4 to get a context of this. As this is a continuation of the of the theme of rest. I'm looking from verses 7 onwards, Hebrews chapter 4. Again, he appoints a certain day, today. Saying through David. But that is very interesting, by the way. I just want to do, this is just trivia. Uh, if you read through the Psalter, that we don't know who the author of the psalm is. It often happens that when you read through the Psalter, that is the Psalms. Many times the author of the psalm is not known. And every time you don't know the particular author, you see that the author is actually revealed to us in the New New Testament. For example, Psalm 2, we don't know who the author is. But, you know, Peter, when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, says, David is the one who mentioned that. And then again here, whoever the apostle is who's writing this, he says, David in Psalm 95 says this. So this is Psalms, Psalm uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, in other translations, it will use the word Jesus again. Okay, Joshua being a picture of Christ, has given them rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains, oh beautiful, that's the word, Sabbath rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered, he's qualifying what the Sabbath rest is, is calling it God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive or labor to enter into what? That rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is that rest over here? That rest is God's rest. And what is that God's rest? It is the Sabbath rest he's talking about. Therefore, if you look at this entire uh, exposition in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, there are three rests that are alluded to. What are those three rests? First rest promised to the children of Israel in the desert that they would enter into the promised land and they would enjoy rest. Okay, so that is the first uh, connotation, the first rest that was promised. Second rest, of course, is is the rest that the children of Israel are singing in the promised land. This is Psalm 95, of course, and therefore he's talking about the rest of the children of Israel, not having, not after, after entering into the promised land, but that they enjoy when they live in the promised land. And finally, the third most important, he says, all of us have to strive to enter into what is, what is, what is called the, what is called God's rest or the Sabbath rest. That's the third rest. And he says, believers, you and I are exhorted not to look at the rest of the promised land, not to look at, look at the rest, look for rest in the promised land, but look at rest, which is what we call it, what is being qualified or being called as God's rest. So we need to understand what this God's rest is. So today, I'm going to talk about God's rest. What is this rest? Question number one. How do I enter into this rest? Question number two. Third, how do I continue in this rest? Three questions and my message is over. Okay, how, what, what is this rest? What is this God's rest? Or what is this Sabbath rest, as he's calling it? How do I enter into that rest? And how do I continue to live in that rest? Okay, for people who are a little new to our, uh, to our teaching sessions, you might find it a little complicated and a little convoluted, but I'll try to simplify as much as I can. Okay. So in order to understand what this Sabbath rest is, we have to look at the Ten Commandments, also called as a Decalogue. And uh, Sabbath is the, which commandment? Anybody knows? 
Fourth commandment. Okay, fourth commandment. It's a very interesting commandment, by the way. If you break the Sabbath, I mean, it's a commandment that you should uh, work six days and the seventh day you should you should rest. And if you are found working on the seventh day, what will happen to you? You are put to death. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? In, in other words, you, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You shall work six days, seven days you shall rest. Thou shall honor the father and mother, whoever curses or father and mother shall be put to death. Thou shall not commit adultery, whoever commits adultery shall be put to death. Thou shall not dishonor the Sabbath, who shall ever, who, whoever dishonor the Sabbath shall be put to So, a very serious commandment in the Decalogue. And if you observe this commandment very carefully, the way it appears in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, it's the only commandment which gives us reasons as to why we have to obey it. It's remarkable. I mean, of course, the old, I mean, the first commandment, of course, is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Is the reason as to why you should have no other gods is because I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, it says, thou shalt honor your father and mother. Why? Because I said so. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because I said so. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because I said so. Etc. Etc. But when it comes to the Sabbath, it's one of those commandments which has been which gives us reasons as to why we have to obey it. And therefore we need to understand in the context of both the Exodus account and the Deuteronomy account as to what the Sabbath rest is all about. So let us look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 onwards. Remember the Sabbath. Or this is what we need to do is remember, okay? So everybody, don't fall asleep. Take a deep breath. Let oxygen into your system. Because you fall asleep because you don't have oxygen, Right? Or we have REMs, rapid eye movements, whatever. Only doctors will be able to say that. Okay. So take a deep breath. Okay. Very important topic. Hmm? I know it's a little serious, but it is important. Okay. Remember the Sabbath Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You shall do no work. And then it says... You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger, who is within your gates. Why? It starts with a, for, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Why we have to keep the Sabbath here? The reason is because God created the world in six years, six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Six 24-hour days. Okay? Six, how many days? Not eons of days. It was evening and morning, day one. Evening, morning, day two. Evening, morning, day three, etc., etc., etc. It is six 24 hours, possibly literal days. I don't want to get into all those uh, questions for defending the faith. I want to. I want you want to be an offender, not a defender. So let me let me offend you sufficiently today. Okay. For in six six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, sea, and all that is in them rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Therefore keep the Sabbath. Okay. Okay, boss. Let us try to understand what this means. But before we go to what 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 uh, what it means, let us see another place where uh, the Sabbath is mentioned as a commandment. So look at this. This is observe the Sabbath or remember that in that 
translation is, I mean, in the other words, it says, remember the Sabbath. It says, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey. That is the addition over here. Nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger, which is, who is in your gates, that your, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And then the reason. And remember that you were what? A slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from, uh, out you, uh, brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So you see, two places where the Ten Commandments is mentioned. It says you should honor the Sabbath, a reason is given. Another place in Deuteronomy, it says honor the Sabbath and the reason is given. So we need to understand what is this Sabbath rest, Baba? What does it mean to enter into this rest? So let us try to understand what this rest is all about. Okay, so let us see where God honors the Sabbath. So we'll look at uh, Exodus chapter 20 and... uh, this particular passage, okay, so, and let us see uh, the creation account. If you look at Genesis now, from Genesis chapter 1, I want to read a few verses. This is creation. I want to just go through the creation quickly to see what it means, what God means by Sabbath rest. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Lord said, let there be light, and it was? And it was what? Everybody say that? It's good. Verse 10. And God called the dry land earth. And God saw that it was, it was good, fantastic. This is creation, verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass, etc. And God saw that it was good. Verse 18. And, and, and to rule over the day and over the night, to divide light from darkness. And God saw that it was fantastic. God's awake. Verse 17. Uh, God set them from, on the firmament, etc. God saw that it was good. Verse 21. With which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to their kind and God saw it was good. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God saw that everything that he made and it was very good. The word is exceedingly good. No, who's creating? God. Who's declaring it is good? Now think about it, no? I'm a painter. I'm painting. Good. Excellent. Good. Painting is over in six days, seventh days. Exceedingly good. Will I ever say that? You know, I listen to interviews of a lot of a lot of movie directors, okay? One of the movie directors, he says, I don't watch my movies. I asked him, why? If I watch my movies, I know all the mistakes in that movie. This could be better, that could be better, I will get depressed. I cannot watch my movies at all. And that happens with my preaching too. Sometimes. <laughs> okay. Become, see, we cannot do it. So God is doing something and he finished his work and he said, Mama, too good. 
Why? I just wrote down something here. Only God has the capacity to create something that is not only good, but something that is exceedingly good. And the only person who can give him the commendation that it is exceedingly good is himself. Okay. Keep this in your mind. Then, there is no judge who is equal to God who will sit in a committee like Indian Idol or Britain's called Talent where so many judges are there, even your audience are judged. So many people have to say he is very good, very good. Only then he will be given the prize or whatever. There is no equal to God. There are no what is that? What do you call a committee of gods who's evaluating his creation saying it is very good. No. God himself is the only person who can create something good, who can say it is something good and he is got the he is the only person who has got the capacity to say, capacity to judge and the authority to judge. Therefore, therefore, the only person who has the position and the capacity to decide if something is good or not is God. You understand this? Nobody else can say this is good or this is bad. Only God can say. So, in order to decide if something is good or bad, what is he going to compare it with? Himself. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? What is the standard? Himself. The only person who can decide something is very good is God. And the only person who can judge that it is good is God. And who can, the only person who can decide if something is good is God. And only person who has a standard to compare something good is God. That is himself. Keep that in mind. So, the evening and the morning. And what was the last day he created? What did he create on the last day? The last day, last, last of the last day. Because on the, on the last day he created the animals too. He created man. And he saw it was very good. And then comes the Genesis 2 account. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, called it holy in other words. And because he rested in it from all his works, which God had created and made. What does it mean? Does it mean that God got tired of his, tired of working and he rested? No, God never gets tired. We know that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Okay, so what did he do? What did he do? God looks at his work of creation, including that of man, and he says, very good. He's deeply satisfied and says it is finished. And he rests. What does it mean? Now he begins to enjoy his creation. Okay, you work on something, no? You work on, let's say, a math problem. I'm just giving an example. Okay. You struggle hard. Days and nights, I remember I used to walk for four or five kilometers to get one problem solution. When I was in Montreal. Walking from left to right, left to right, and finally that used to click. And then I used to write the solution. It's beautiful in the solution, isn't it? It is so beautiful. That's exactly what God is doing. He's looking at his solution. I mean, he's looking at his creation and said, this is beautiful. This is too good. Who's hearing that? Man. Take that. Keep that in mind. 
What does it mean therefore? The starting point of man is the which day? Seventh day. How is he starting his life on earth? By hearing a commendation. What is that? Not just good. Very good. So God is looking at all his creation and he is giving this commendation to man and to the entire creation. This is very good. Man does not start with work. He enters into what we call as rest. What is that rest? A commendation from God that what he has created, including man, is absolutely good and he starts working now. Understand? Keep this in mind. So Genesis chapter 2. And he says to man, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of, if you start to decide what is good, Instead of asking me what is good, that day you will be off from my condemnation or rather commendation that you are good and you will be on your own and after that there is only death. Okay? You shall surely die. I wrote, I wrote this down. No? What is this rest? When man sinned, what he lost from the presence of God was his fellowship. And what he lost was that commendation that he is what? Very good. And deep down inside every man there is a deep longing for commendation. Have you seen your children? If they do something for you, Daddy, how did they do it? I mean, they might write a very shabby letter with all the very bad handwriting and they'll come to you. Mama, I wrote a letter for you. How does it look? You look at it and it says, no, but she's looking at you with her, with her eyes, right? Bright eyes. And, but it's super bitter. She's looking for that commendation. And every man deep down inside of his heart, deep down inside of his heart is longing for com- commendation that he is good. You know, we, we work in research labs. I'll tell you what it is. We have paper deadlines. Okay. Deadline is, let's say, tomorrow. We always don't look at Indian time. It is specific time, generally. So we always have at least 12 hours more than the US researchers. Okay. And we are writing the paper. I send it to my boss. He looks at it and he says, Vijay, if the reviewer looks at this, he'll just put it in the dustbin. Change this. Okay, sir. Walking, 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 walking. Then I look at it. This result is not there. What should I do? Maybe I should run another simulation and put it there. Then he will see this more attractive and let maybe the research, I mean the reviewer will accept it and then I run a simulation. You wouldn't believe it. We start, we just, I mean the last three days, 72 hours we don't sleep in any, in our lab. All the researchers, okay, whoever is publishing a paper or submitting a paper, 72 hours there is no sleep. Okay, we take power naps. I don't know what that nap is. We sleep like that and then we get up and then because in the sleep something else is coming. Our mind is totally occupied to make sure that the paper when it is given to the reviewer, he looks at it and he says what? It is good. 
But you know, most of the time, reviewers are very tough. They want to look at your paper and they want to put it in the dustbin. Uh, a robotics lab, India. This fellow is not a plagiarist, first of all. There is not their own idea. From where did they copy? Oh, they did not copy. Okay, let me look at this idea. Is it already there? Uh, okay, fine. Chalega. It can be a poster. May not be a presentation. Accept. It's like that from third world countries, most of the time. You you are literally on tenter hooks till the last moment you're running simulation after simulation. Nobody's in the lab except you. Two o'clock in the lab, you get the final answer. You say, Eureka! And you look at the other people and then nobody's there. And then you call your researcher friend who's sleeping. Hey, result of mama. What are you doing? You're trying your level best so that somebody will look at your work and say, boy, this is good. And then you are accepted into their peer group and they will give you a PhD. Partial head damage. <laughs> Deep down inside every man, there is a hunger for commendation and he is restless till he gets that commendation. So what happened when man started his journey on earth, he started with a commendation. Boy, you don't have to perform to get my commendation. You are already good. You work from rest. You don't work toward rest. You're already good in my sight. But what is happening? Man is forever trying, 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 trying his level best to try to please, appease his peer group, etc. No, look at this. No, there is one guy in the, I wrote it, a deep longing for commendation and fallen man. There is one guy in the Bible who's working, 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 working to get a commendation. Okay? Look at that guy. He comes up, this is found in Matthew chapter 19. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, you see that how he starts good teacher what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life immediately Jesus asked him a question why do you call me good isn't it interesting why do you call me good no one is good except God in other words my dear fellow when you are calling me good are you calling me are you calling me Ah, are you calling me God Why are you calling me good? I mean, some of the, some of us, we have a deep sense of our fallen nature. Okay, what we call as inferiority complex. Okay, oh, it's a complex. When we ask him, both works. I mean, superiority complex, you are trying to prove, therefore you feel superior. Inferiority, you know you are poor, therefore if somebody comes and says that was a good work, you'll say, "Chira bale asal, I'm not that good. I'm not very good." I, that, that was, a, I mean, some sisters, sister, you made a fantastic dish. No, pastor, that was there, not there. Hari, it was good. I enjoyed it. Because deep down inside of their heart, they have this question, why are you calling it good? If I say, I mean, it's very easy. If I, if I, if I tell Raj, Raj, you're a great husband. Pastor, how did you call me that I'm a good husband? Did you see how I uh, behave with my wife when nobody is watching? Am I kind to her? Do I take care of her? 
Do I love her like Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her? Do, are you aware of every detail in my life? How did you come to the conclusion that I'm good? I'm a good husband. The same question Jesus is asking this young rich, rich young ruler. How did you come to the conclusion that I'm good? Are you aware of who I am? In my complete essence, are you aware of where I came from and where I'm going? Are you aware of every detail of my life? And therefore you came to the conclusion that I'm good. Because I'm not going to, because the only one person who can decide good, he's who? God. Because he's got the standard. See, that is the reason why it says in John's Gospel chapter 2. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because he knew what? All men and he did not need any man to testify about him. Because he knew what was in all men. He knew. Deep sense in our heart. For a longing for commendation. And this guy comes and says. What good thing should I do? Good master. To get eternal life. And Jesus says. Why do you call me good? For a second. He said, keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? It's very interesting. He said, Jesus said, you shall not murder. What is that? Number one. How many? One. You shall not commit adultery. How many? Two. You shall not steal. How many? Three. You shall not bear false witness. Four. You sh- Honor your father and mother. 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 Okay. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as your... How many? Six. Then it happens. Very interesting. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? I'm still not satisfied. There is, you know what what somebody calls it, no? It is the eternal murmur of the soul because it is not satisfied because it knows that it is not good. It's a murmur inside your heart. You're not good, you're not good, I know. Your conscience is always telling you're not good, you're not good, you're not good. I know you're not good, I know you're not good, I know you're not good, I know you're not good. You know you're not good. That is the reason why it says, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their conflicting thoughts either what? Excuse them or accuse them. And most of the time, accuse. (laughs) Because we know, do unto others as they would have do unto you. How many of you do that? Golden rule. I live by the golden rule, brother. Everybody lives except you. So deep down inside of our heart, we know for sure we have not, we are not good and we are looking, longing for that rest, for that complete, whatever we we want to call it, that satisfaction that somebody finally says that I'm good. And Jesus said, okay, you want to be good? He makes a very interesting statement. If you want to be, how many commandments did he do? Six. Baba, six is not going to... Seventh, you have to enter into my rest. Sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And you will have commendation that you are good. It's gone. So this is people who are trying to earn salvation. Trying to do all that they can so that God one day will say, yeah, that was good. Okay, that is the reason why. Not the labor. 
off my hands, <laughs> can fulfill the Lord's demands, could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, fall out to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. So this is a religious man, Who's working and working and working and trying to receive commendation that is good. Some other people, some people, they try to get commendation that they are good through relationships. The more number of Facebook friends and likes that they have. And he likes such The moment, think about it, no? The moment you upload something on the internet, you're looking for the what? Comments. How many people liked it? And when we say comments disabled in this video, we don't want to know what you think. Also, <laughs> actually, you don't want to listen the bad. You see? So there's one lady who is also looking for this deep inner sense of peace that she is good. John's Gospel chapter 4. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Baba, I want this living water. I don't want to come back. I know I'm thirsty. God says, okay, fine. You want the thirst? You want to quench your thirst? Do one thing. Jesus said, go call your husband. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, it is true that you have said you have no husband. You have how many husbands? Five husbands. Sixth one you are living with. You are still trying to get this commendation from this lady or this person that you are living with that you are good and you are not satisfied. I know it. You want the commendation that you are good? There is one husband who can fulfill everything. Who is that? Jesus himself. So let me tell you my dear brothers and sisters. Every day nowadays I am getting calls. I am getting calls from my old friends also. I don't know suddenly how they know that I got my license to thrill. To thrill? Okay. So they called me yesterday. This guy called me. Sir. Vijay sir. How are you sir? Yeah, how is this? Why is this fellow talking talk, talk, talk to me so nicely to me? You know? ah, how are you sir? Everything okay sir? Ah sir. Uh, I got this job sir. I am still searching for this job sir. Sir. Okay. Manchamma on Tethkan sir. You are just 28, I think it's a little early for you. Sir, you are 33, sir. 33. Please, sir. You know, I don't know why. I think that's feeling lonely now. I mean, it's very interesting. All married people want to become lonely. All lonely people want to get married. It's, it's very interesting, by the way. Srikant, don't nod your head like that. He's nodding his head like that. No, think, no, think about it, no? See, this is very interesting. No, by, by the way, why, 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 why is it in marriages? Why is it there? Why, why is it there's so much of tension in marriages? Why, you know why? Most of the time what happens is this. You're looking for that completion. You become Jerry Maguire. You complete me. You do sign language, no? You complete me. No, 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 no. She doesn't complete you. She shows you how incomplete you are. Okay, nobody will complete you. 
So the other person is saying, let this fellow complete me. This fellow is saying, let her complete me. And what is happening, they are putting enormous pressure upon the other person who is not good. Huh? Right? Who is not good. Because he himself said, if you being evil fathers, that means even if I am a father, and if I do good gifts to my children, I am still evil father. That means what a, what, am I, what a kind of a husband am I? Evil husband, okay. So, think that is that is the what we call as a mathematical induction, okay. Oh, just go. <laughs> you are laughing, okay. No problem. Uh, okay, this is mathematical induction. Very, very simple. Bible is full of math, by the way. Don't you just? I'll teach you equations. You come to me once, you will go crazy. I'll show you neighbors you never knew that we call neighborhood. I'll show you three sixteens. I'll show you a message on three sixteens. Okay, that is different. That's a different. Besides the point. Okay, mathematical induction is I am a what of what 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 husband now? You are looking for an evil husband to give you good commendation. How is it possible, Baba? Similarly, the other person is looking to this person to give you good commendation. It is impossible. You know what? Marriages will fail because these two individuals are looking at one another for completion rather than looking for God for completion. Because he is the only person who can complete you. And therefore this, this lady is there. She is restless now. Looking for commendation in any, every relationship. Going from one abuser relationship to another. I've seen this, I mean, this observation I've made, no? So many people, especially girls, they go from one abusive relationship to a next abusive relationship. It's like, hey, how can you be such a dumb dumb? I mean, you have not learned your lesson. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like insanity. You know what insanity is, right? Doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. You just go from one abusive relationship to another, another abusive relationship to another, and ultimately you're totally, completely messed up because your eyes are not on God. Restless six husbands. So Genesis chapter 29. Look at this lady. So Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord will surely look on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. That fellow doesn't love you. You didn't get it. He's looking at Jacob. I'm sorry, Rachel. Do you know that? He thought you were Rachel. You're not getting it. Then she conceived again, bore a son and said, behold, the Lord has heard that I'm unloved. (laughs) And therefore, she gave me another son and she called his name Simeon. She conceived again. Now this time she bore, my husband will attach to me. Wah! Wives, looking for your husband to attach to you, it's not going to happen. Oh no, no. If it is happening, then it is not good. Therefore, his name was Levi. And she conceived again and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Husband is not even mentioned. Finished. Over. She got the lesson now. Husband is gone. Called his name? Judah. You see? We all have deep down 
inside of our heart a desire for commendation that we matter, that we are good. And if you get it, then we will be addressed. That is what the rest God is talking about. A commendation from God that you are valuable, absolutely precious in my sight. A commendation which only God can give. And because of the fall, you're looking at every other place. And you're looking at, it's not just your relationship. You'll be looking at your workplace. Work could be one of your big mistresses, Baba. Sure, sure is. I mean, especially if you're in a research lab. You you think corporate corporates have uh, politics. Corporates have politics. You come to academia, they have politics. This is crazy. You should see the kind of jealousy and envy when one research lab is flourishing. How they pass nasty comments, etc., etc., etc. You could your work could could be your idol. You're looking for completion there, boss. You're looking for completion in relationships, like you know Tim Keller says. Without you, baby, what good am I? You are very good. Without her, you see. You understand that? So that is rest. That is the rest that he's talking about. A deep longing inside of our heart. And if you get it, then you will be satisfied. That is the rest. The question is, so I've defined what is the rest. Second, what should I do? How do I enter into that rest? Question number two. How do I enter into that rest? So this is found in Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just read it for you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 onwards again. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his own works as God. So if you want to enter into God's rest, you should rest from your own. Ah, you should quit trying to find completion in relationships or in work or in works of righteousness. And you have to enter into God's rest. But for that you need to strive. So how do we enter into God's rest? This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's read on. This is again the Sabbath commandment, right? On the six days that you should, uh, you should work, seventh day you should rest. And verse 15. And you should remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore the people, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. How do I rest? Enter into that rest. First, I should recognize that I am a slave. Slave. Baba, we are all slaves. Some people acknowledge, some people don't. Some people act. It's like, you know, one guy who is completely on booze. He acts, sir, steady. He's actually complete slave. And he says, I'm steady. That's a deception. The slave. How do I enter into that rest? First, acknowledge that I was a slave in the land of Egypt. Slave to public opinion. Slave to, see, I'm insecurity. No, my goodness. Such a, you know how you are restless when you get, become insecure. Of somebody else's success. Somebody else's talent. Somebody else's ministry. Oh, I mean, among pastors there is competition. How can two brothers compete? Think about it. Think about it. All God's children, how can they compete? What foolishness. Insecurity. 
security to public opinion. I mean, sorry, slave to public opinion. Slave to substance. Some of you, I don't know, young people, slave to pub to substance. And you don't even want to acknowledge that. You're a slave. Slave to movies. You have to see first day, first show. Even on the web. Slave. Remember that you are a slave. Acknowledge that you are a slave. Second, acknowledge that you are powerless to save yourself. You know, that is one of the things, you know, why you are, why you are, why, why do you continue to be restless? It's like this is a very interesting analogy, you know. <sighs> a guy who doesn't know how to swim is drowning. And there is a gajai itakadu. Okay. Very puff, very nice. Uh, what, do you, what do you call as uh, lifeguard? You know, lifeguard will wait. He will wait till you give up. Or he, he will just take one boulder and knock you down and then rescue. Two things he will do. He will not rescue you when you are trying to, you know, save yourself. Because you know what will happen? You will drown. You will cause that fellow also to drown. Until and unless you reach the point in your life and say, Lord, I am sick and tired of this life. You should come to that point. I'm sick and tired of this hypocrisy. One thing outside, one thing inside. I mean, think about it, no? John Wesley. He left a scholarship, an Oscar scholarship to become a missionary to America before he got saved. Can you believe that? And he thought he was God's cat's whiskers. He went and he completely got defeated in his mission field and he was coming back in the ship. There was a storm and in the storm he was getting scared and there were, there in the ship were a bunch of more, 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 Norwegian, Norwegian, if I'm right, Norwegian, uh, uh, what do you say, evangelists and missionaries. They were singing, they were helping out, they were trying to save people, they were comforting people and he looked at them and he said, how come you, also a Christian, have such tremendous peace in spite of the storm. And you know what they said? We are at rest. We are at rest in God. And that is the time he realized not the labor of my hands can fulfill the lost demands. Absolute double life. Outwardly religious. Outwardly pious. Outwardly doing ministry. Defeated by sin inside. And you have to come to the point in your life where you are absolutely restless. And I want to ask myself, God, Lord, come. Sometimes I feel, no, Lord, I need you to just take a break. And go off till I, my outer life and inner life tarry, you know. I, 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 I keep asking myself, I say, Lord, how do I spend, spend my time? How, how am I behaving with my wife? So many times my outward life and my inner life do not tally. Yesterday I was chatting with one of my friends, ex-colleagues, and asking, where are you? He said, I am in RUB. I said, what is RUB? Royal University of Bhutan. <gasps> All my, you know, my antenna just went off. Royal University of Bhutan. Okay, 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 okay. Is it close to Timpu? I said, no, 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 no. It is far from Timpu. I said, okay, okay, okay. And he said, why do you ask? Uh, do you want to come and join me? And for a moment, I said, Lord, send me to that place, Lord. And I have time by myself. I can take my Bible. I can take my book away from all this so that my inner life and outer life can marry, can match. I was seriously thinking like that yesterday. My outer life, my 
inner life so many times don't match. What I preach from the pulpit condemns me sometimes. This restlessness. Powerless to save myself. That is the reason why like Abel was praying. When we were without strength, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were enemies, what did God do? Christ died. So how do I enter into that rest? I acknowledge that God took that eternal restless for me on the cross. On the cross he became restless. And he was so restless in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, Father, if if possible, remove this cup from me. And he called him, what father? Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. Please, Lord, please, please, Daddy, please, please, Daddy. Take this cup away from me. I am restless. He had to experience that eternal restlessness so that you and I could enjoy that rest in him. So how do we start this rest by entering into the finished work of of Christ on the cross when he says, it is what? Finished. It is good. Penalty for sin is being paid. And now, in Christ, you are not only good, you are very good. Exceedingly good. Exceedingly good. That's what Jesus did. Luke's Gospel chapter 9, verse 28 onwards. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as lightning. And who appeared? Two men. Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his what? About his exodus. That's the word actually. They spoke about his exodus. You know, in the exodus that was happening in Egypt, out when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it was exactly the same exodus. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. He was bringing us out of the power of darkness into his marvelous light in Christ Jesus on the, by the finished work on the cross. Exodus. That is the reason why Acts chapter 18 will say, to open your eyes, to bring you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, and to an, for an inheritance that is being shared among the people who are walking by faith. Okay? That is how you enter into his rest. By entering and believing that Christ died for your sins. You know, it's a very interesting thing, no? It's a gospel. How many of you actually actually believe that Jesus died for my sins? He died for my sins. I don't have to perform anymore. I don't have to perform anymore. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest. Come to Jesus this morning. Come to Jesus. You know, this is, an, this is a very, very simple invitation. No complicated thing. Come to Jesus. Look up to him and he says, Lord. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul puts it beautifully. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose very eyes... Christ Jesus has been publicly portrayed as crucified. And that's exactly what we try to do from the pulpit every Sunday. We try to show you Christ's work on the cross so that you will not trust in your works, not trust in your goodness, but look at Jesus on the cross and say, Lord, I enter into your rest. On the cross, he said, it is finished. 
and that is how you enter into God's rest. But how does it, how do you experience that? First Corinthians chapter 1 will say, it is because of him, that is because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So how do we enter into this rest? Look at one more, one more verse, and how do I know that I've entered into this rest? We'll look at one more verse, and then we will uh, see how do we enter, and how do we know that we have entered into this rest. Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. You know, one of the books Pastor James recommended us to read was Sit, Walk, Stand. What is that? Sit, Walk, Stand. That is a book by Watchman Nee. How does a believer enter into his rest? He doesn't enter into his rest by walking first. Everybody says, how does this is counterintuitive, right? How how does the one rest first? You walk and then you rest. You know what Jesus says? No, no, no. First you sit and then you walk. First you sit. Relax. You know, Jesus says, chillax, chalak, just give it to my hands. Let go. Sit. Sit in my presence. Sit in my presence. Sit. In other words, what does it mean? Another another verse in First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter one. This is what it what it says. First Peter chapter one verse three. Blessed be the God and of our father, and of and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, this is the same word. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. So, but how do we know that we are born again? How do we know that we are born again? How do we know that we have entered into his rest? One of the sure signs that we have entered into God's rest is one thing that God tells all the time. How do I know that I have entered into God's rest? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. How do I enter into that rest? Through, what is that? Repentance. Repentance. And what should I repent from? John Chestnut, if I'm, if I got his spelling correct. The main thing between you and God is not so much your sins. It is your damnable good works. What is it between you and God? Not your sins. Your Damnable good works. It's a powerful statement. That is the reason it says repentance on what works? Dead works, not good works or bad works. It is dead works. In other words, in other translation, and I will say repentance from acts that lead to death. Now think about it. Repentance from what? From, from what? Acts that lead to death. So two people walking on this road. At the end, there is death. One guy smoking, drinking, partying. Etc, etc, etc. Ultimately, where does he end up? Death. Another guy. His, his name is Bill Gates. Money. Money. Charity. Money. This work. That work. That work. This work. All good works. Where is he ending now? Both on the same pathway. One is entering happily, enjoying life here. The other fellow, are, 
He's giving, giving and he's feeling very good. But deep down inside of his heart, his heart is still condemning him. And he's still reaching the same destination. What is that? Death. So it says, repentance from what? Acts that lead to death. That's the first thing. That is how I know that I have, this is a very familiar portion. But let us look at this particular portion and know if you have actually genuinely repented. How do I know that I have genuinely repented? Look at this verse. This is found in um, uh, uh, Second, Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 7. We know this very well. And verse 11 onwards. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Look at what it says. For observe this very thing. That you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be what? Clear in this matter. So let us, let us look at each of these things. To know if we have really genuinely repented. What does it produce in me? First it produces what? Diligence. What is diligence? Earnest. In dispatching a duty. I'll tell you what that duty is. Remember, I came back from Canada. I borrowed money from my friends, left Canada and came. Okay? That is what we call a Satak Sitaram. Okay? Came off to India. Then I was listening to one tape by Zach Punan. And he said he was reading from Psalm 37. The wicked borrow and do not repay. I said, boy, what is that? The wicked borrow and do not repay. And where the where do the wicked end up? The wicked are running when no man is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So first of all, tension started. And you wouldn't believe it. I used to shiver like that, no? And then every time I used to listen to the message, I used to shiver. And then I made a list. List of all my friends. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven friends, if I'm right. Got their emails and one, one fellow was a Sindhi. Avnish Hingorani. Motwani, Hingorani, Vadhwani, etc. Hingorani, okay? And I called him from India to, to, to Canada. In the mid, it was about three o'clock in the morning for him. Okay, his time. I said, Avnish, this is Vijay. Ha ha, Vijay, boy, kya hal hai? How much do you owe you? Sindhi, no. Even in the sleep, he knows. $250. Okay, okay, okay. I will send that money to your parents. I took that money. You would systematically, day one, day two, within few months, I put a list of all my creditors. And I said, Lord, I will be earnest in Dispatching. Abraham, walk thou before me and be thou blameless. All your males should be circumcised. And when did he circumcise? The same day. That is what we call as earnestness in dispatching duty. Let me tell you something. There's no condemnation here, okay? There's no condemnation, okay? No condemnation in the house of God. There is only conviction. What did I say? No condemnation, only conviction. Let me tell you, like pastor was saying, you do what is in your hands, God will do what is in his hands. Let us say you owe people money and you don't have the resources to give him back. You want to enjoy his blessing. God says, oh, no man, anything except the debt of love. What do you do? I don't have the money. Call your creditors. Act of faith. 
Tell him, give me some time. This is what this is what I'll do. As a token amount, even though I'm not able to give you the money, I will give you every month this much as a token amount. This is my promise to you. In your capacity, return if it is only 10 rupees, return 10 rupees. I promise you in the name of Jesus. Because God is a God who says, those who honor me, I will honor. You, in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, you know what? You will get the provision to set all your debts with all your creditors. Because you know what? You're God's child. He has called you good. And if he has called you good, it's like mighty man of valor in debt. How can you be mighty man of valor in debt? But Lord, I want to get out of debt. Lord, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. And you wouldn't believe how things will change in your life. God will discipline you. At the same time, he will teach you financial discipline, first of all. Second thing, in other words, he will teach you don't spend more than you can. You're earning. Very simple thing, no? Don't buy today what you can afford 25 years later. That is the problem with our generation. Buy, they want to buy today what they can afford 25 years later. 25 years later, kisne jana? You'll, you'll be alive. What are you talking about? Luke 19. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone wrongfully, I will return him how many? God said, Baba, repentance agya, salvation in his house. Same thing. There are relationships in your life. And God is continuously telling, that is not from me. That is not from me. Don't delay in dispatching. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Abraham said, oh Lord. No, 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 no. When should you do it? Today. And don't even give her water. Just give her a little water and little food. Who told that? God said that. Cast her out. The same day is out. Diligence. Earnestness in dispatching a duty. Second, clearing. What does that mean? Defense. You know, the word is apologia. Apologia. In other words, become an apologist. And you don't have to go to RZIM for that. I mean, I'm not saying you should not go to RZIM. I'm saying you don't have to go to RZIM to do this kind of apologetics. What is it? What does this mean? Be absolutely bold in showing your witness. Don't have to hide. No. See, once you are being accepted by God and God said you are good, you know what happens? Shame goes. He has covered you with his righteousness and what happens? Shame absolutely goes. Look at what, look at what happens. The first apologist in the Bible. You know who the first apologist in the Bible is? Huh? I'll tell you. John's Gospel chapter 4. Then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come! See a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, made their way toward him. John's Gospel chapter 4 verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came and told him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, many more believers came to the Lord. This is what we call as witnessing. Witness. Don't be ashamed. All you Jesus children, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Even till date, yesterday I was talking to my friend, colleague from, from IIIT. You know, I keep talking to Madhav sir. He says, my Madhav sir. No, my Madhav sir is my boss. And he said, Madhav sir keeps telling me, what is Vijay doing with his life? What did he do? 
I said, I was so happy. I said, you know, thank God for the testimony. Thank God for the testimony. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Defend Christ. Defend his work in your life. Second. That is the second one. Third. Indignation. What is that? Displeasure over waste. That is what indignation means. I'll show you what it means. Mark's chapter, Mark's gospel chapter 4. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, why this waste of perfume? I'll tell you what. What this is it? Tell God, Lord, I have wasted my life. If you are below 30 years old and you have not known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, tell Jesus, Lord, 30 years I've wasted. I'm so upset about it. If you are 35, half-life over. How many over? Half-life is over. Presuming that you will live till 70. If, say, you are going to live till 80, if 40 years, half-life over. It's like, you know, uh, radioactive materials. Half-life gone. Strength gone. I like this song that we sing, no? Don Moen's very, very famous song. One of the hated race, stung, the, stung by the prejudice, suffering injustice, yet he forgives. Wept for my wasted years. He paid for my wickedness. He died in my place that I might live. Weep over your wasted years. And one of the one of the things that I discuss with Sam, no, every time we have a discussion, Sam, how much time I wasted, Sam, doing stupid things, watching stupid movies, reading stupid books, suffering from adult adolescence, not growing up. So much time wasted. You know what happens? The more you come to the Lord, more you are aware of the time that you have wasted. And more precious will be now the rest of the time that you spend with God. So many of you are not even aware of that. You're, you're waste, you're getting uh, worried about the other waste. Nobody likes me. Forget about it. God has already accepted you. Spend the rest of the time for Him. Indignation. Next is fear. What is that? Submission to God. Fear. How do I know? One of the things I now know that I'm really, really growing in my repentance is I have a fear of God in my life. First Peter chapter 3. Wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence. One of the things that people should look in your life is reverence for God. The kind of jokes that you speak the, the kind of movies that you watch, the kind of conversations that you have. How do you, you know, Leviticus says, stand before elders and gray-haired people, no? Think about it, no? Do you have respect? We have to teach our children. You know, even in my own home, you should know how to respect elders. You should know how to talk to elders. Stand before gray-haired men. Gray-haired men. Honor them. There's reverence and it Creeps into every area of your life. How do you rever other people? Shows how much you rever God. Reverence. One of the things that you show reverence to God is by coming to church on time. Simple. If Raja is already there in the sanctuary, Praja is still outside. Every other kingdom they will say, Baba, stay outside. Simple. Prioritize your life. Show reverence for him. 
Even in your own home, one of the things that we, Justin and I, we speak, Lord, there should be reverence when we pray, we tell our children, praying now, put your hands down, put your legs down, there should be reverence. They are they see us. If we are no, we don't show reverence for God. If we don't show reverence for God, our children will grow up not showing reverence for God and therefore not showing reverence to elders. Reverence, submission to God. Third, vehement desire and zeal. What is that? A longing and a jealousy for your husband. A longing. You know, pastor was talking about, you, know, you see all these things that are happening around, what should you say? Look up for your redemption is. No, no you don't say, Lord, a few more years, Lord. Let me just... Just stick at married. I used to tell Pastor James. Pastor, let me just work for two years, earn some money. Just two years and then I will come. And you know, he looked at me and he said, you will never come. Just, just let me enjoy. Let me postpone. You know what it says in First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 22? Let's read it together. Let's all read it together. One, two, three. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be. Accursed. What is the next verse? Come Lord. Come Lord. Finally, vindication. What is that? What is vindication? Importune faith. Luke's gospel chapter 18. And he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. How many of you just get defeated so easily? So much so easily you get defeated. How do I know? Your conversations. Venting, 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 venting. Venting, venting. Instead of going to God, you go to man. Importune faiths. He said, don't lose heart. You quit. So many of us quit so easily, no? I don't know how that is possible. How can we quit? If God is for us, who can be against us? How can we quit? The pastor was saying, pastors giving up their ministry and going. Why? Because they don't have this importance. They don't have strength in them. They've lost their strength. They try once, they try twice. You know, somebody said, who's a genius? You know who's a genius? A genius is a man who's got the infinite capacity to take pain. What is that? Infinite capacity to take pain. There's this guy, Andrew Giles. There was a theorem called Fermat's last theorem. I mean, you know, those people, those days mathematicians, they just write one equation and they sleep. Ah, that is a proof, they sleep. And another fellow looks at that equation and he says, how did he prove it? For seven years, Andrew Giles worked on the project. One equation to prove it. And if you go to his room, this entire room and his entire home is full of post-its. Equation, 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 equation. For seven long years, a professor in Princeton, one of the sharpest and the most brilliant minds, has to work for seven years to get the Fields Medal. To get a crown, which is perishing, and you and I will keep up the first time. Importune faith saying there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming. In other words, darbar pe mein mujhe mile na mile. 
I will be there. It's like, you know, that, that uh, Sarafinishian lady, I will be there. You call me whatever names, Lord, I will be there. I will be found in your house. I will be there week after week, week after week, asking, asking, asking till I get my breakthrough. That is importunate. That is indignation. Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because of this widow, troubles troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual come she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? But are there people who are crying out day and night in this house? How, do you, how, is, how deep is our prayer life? Think about it. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? And we should say, Lord, by in the name of Jesus, Lord, in this place you will find such people. At least one or two. You will not give up until they have heard from God. So how do we enter into that rest? You you enter by repenting. You rest from your own works. How do you stay in, the, in that rest? The answer is the same. You rest from your own works. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto... Now, when you are created in Christ Jesus, what, God, what does God call you? Good. Not just good. Very good. And then he says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First you sit in Christ, then you begin to walk. How do you walk? You walk from rest. Let me tell you, how do you do this? The principle is in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it tell me? I do not seek my pleasure, but the pleasure of God. Isaiah chapter 58. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasures, not speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. What does it tell me? How do I stay in that rest? Very simple. Become Eric Little. God made me fast. When I run, I feel his pleasure. You know what he did? 1924 if I'm right. Paris Olympics. You know the story. Some of you know it. How many of you don't know? Okay. Okay. So for, for, for those people who don't know. 1924 Paris Olympics. This guy from Scotland. He's already qualified for the 100 meters dash. And everybody knows that he's going to get the gold medal. But the race is on a Sunday. Race is on a Sunday. Most of our exams are on Sundays. Most of our classrooms is on Contact classes, no? Sunday. Okay. It was on a Sunday. And he refused. People were shocked. They were so, so frustrated with him. And they said, okay, fine. He, he, could, he would not budge. And then, then he said, 
what is the other race that you can that you, that you want to compete? He said, 400 meters is there. That is that is on a weekday. I will compete in that. He did not compete on the 100 meters race. He did not win the medal because it was on a Sunday. He won the gold medal for the 400 meters race and the bronze for the 200 meters race. And when he finished the 400 meters race and he was coming, you know, there was one young, or one old lady who came to him and she gave him a slip in his hands. And when he opened the slip, it said, for Samuel chapter 2 verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. You know what it tells me? It will cost you to enter into this rest. It might cost you a career. Let me tell you, it will cost you a career. God might give you back, might choose not to give you. What do you say, Lord? Not my ways, not my works, not my words, but your pleasure. And you honor God, God will honor you. My own personal testimony, in this church for the last 11 years, 12 years, by God's grace, I have never missed a Sunday service. Initially, I used to come late. And I used to get whackings also. But I stayed on the course. Witness days, I never missed. I can count on the fingers of my hands how many times I missed church. Sunday, non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Those days I used to tell my boss, Sir, I'll work on Sunday. For 365 days, I worked on Sunday. For 52 days, 52 weeks. Every Sunday I was in the lab. And God said, okay, fine. Very good. I will catch you. Now, every Sunday you will be in my house. And you will have to be in my house because you will become the pastor. That is interesting, no? Remember that joke that I told you? One man, he doesn't want to go to church in the morning. Sunday morning, he's not he's not getting up. Mother said, get up! It's time to go to church. And he said, Mama, I don't want to come to church. And she said, why don't you want to come to church? And he said, give me one reason why I should come to the church. And mother said, three. I'll give you three reasons. First reason, you are 40 years old already. You should set some discipline. Come. Second, I am the mother who said, you should come. Third, you are the pastor. You should come. So that is what God made me, you know. For 52 days, 52 Sundays, every Sunday you will find me here. Unless I am somewhere else. And that too, sent, never went. See. I remember, you know, every time we used to come down the stairs, our uh, landlords used to look at, which, Abigail, where are you going? Bible study. Next time she would come down, where are you going, Abigail? Worship practice. Abigail, where are you going? Church. <laughs> Every day you are going to church. That is a testimony. Six days I worked. Seventh day I rest. You are telling the world, you know what? World, I don't believe in Darwinism. I believe there is a creator and I am accountable to him. And I will not do my pleasure on that day. Okay. Finally, how you stay in that rest? Last. Read your word. What did I say? Read your word. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter into the dress, lest anyone fall short, fall according to the same example of the disobedience, of disobedience. For, you got this reason, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. You know what? Live in the light of God's word and constantly keep judging yourself. You will continuously get the commendation from God that you are good. You are good. Your thoughts were good. Your acts were good. Your intentions were right. And if it is not right, you're setting it right. You're confessing your sin. You're constantly walking in repentance by understanding God's word. So many of you don't even read God's word. I'm sorry to say, sorry to say, you don't even have a discipline of reading systematically the word of God. And why are you defeated in your life? Because you don't read the word of God. Simple. Read the Bible, pray every day, and you will grow. Simple. You know, after all the theology books, Karl Bathro, they asked him, tell you, tell me the thesis of your entire life. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is Karl Barth. 13 volumes on church dogmatics. One of the biggest theologians. Most respected theologians. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Become a student of the word of God. I remember my own life for days and days and days. From morning till evening only reading the word. And the people in my room are shocked. Vijay, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Even till date, that fellow calls me. Finally, exercise your priesthood. I'll tell you what that means. Matthew chapter 12. Or have you not read the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? See, all of you work six days a week and seventh day you rest here. What do I do on the seventh day? For seventh day, if I start at 12 o'clock in the night, I am working almost like 14 hours. On Sunday. Just a principle over here. What is the principle? Let me show you. First Peter chapter 2. But you are a what? Chosen race. A what priesthood? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the what? The excellencies of him who brought you. You know what you're doing now? You're doing the work of God, not out of compulsion now because you love him. That is the reason why not Paul says, I am under obligation. To whom? To the Greeks and to the barbarians. To the wise and to the unwise, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to all that that are in Rome also. I have become a person who will declare the excellencies of God. I will enter into my priesthood. I will enjoy. I will delight now. You know what the Lord has done to me? Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I become a witness for him. I enter into his priesthood and I continue in that rest. So this morning we looked at three things. What is rest? How do I enter into that rest? And third thing, how do I stay in that rest? Many of you don't even know what rest is. I'll tell you why. Because you're trying and trying in your own strength to get commendation from your brother and your sister and not from God. 
That is the reason why John's gospel in chapter 5, God says, Jesus says, how can you believe if you seek honor which comes from one another and does not seek honor from that, from the only God. There's only one God, no other God. And his, his opinion matters. And when you enter into that opinion, it doesn't matter what other people say. You're secure. Whether you, whether flattery or praise or worship or rebuke, nothing will, you know, when you'll be able to take correction with an open heart. And you'll be looking forward to correction, correction. You know why? Because you are absolutely secure. You're not trying to prove anything to anybody now. When somebody comes and corrects you, says, yes, maybe that's right. Maybe that is, um, I'm wrong here. And I'll cover, correct myself because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not people should not walk on eggshells. If I tell Vijay, what will he think? My goodness. That, that means I'm still insecure. I'm absolutely secure. Don't, I don't worry about who's there on my right. Who's there on my left? What other people think about me? Only God, what he thinks about me. How, what is that rest? How do I enter into that rest? And do I, how do I stay in that rest? May this word, you just go home and just meditate upon this word over and over again. Think about it. Think about this. It's such an important concept in this. This is such an important, because most of us are still restless. Still finding meaning in something else. In our career, maybe in our education, in our relationships. But not in God. And we don't even know that God. This morning can we all stand in the presence of God. Spend a few moments in his presence. Isaiah 58 will say, If you regard my Sabbath as holy, not doing your own pleasure, not walking in your own ways, not speaking your own words, and if you call it a delight, and you can be honest with God this morning, Lord, worship for me is a punishment, Lord, not a delight. So many times I have, for, have to force myself to come to church. I don't have the joy to come to church. Lord, Sabbath sometimes is just another day for me, Lord. I'm trying and trying. I've still not come to the end of myself. Lord, give me the grace to be sick and tired of my life. And in John's Gospel chapter 5, to that man at the pool who was there for 38 years, Jesus comes on the Sabbath day and asks him that question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made complete? And when he asks that question to you this morning, what will your answer be? Will you complain? And say, somebody else is going ahead of me. Nobody is there to help me. My parents did this to me. My boss always suppresses me. My brothers don't look after me well. My children have deserted me. My husband has deserted me. My wife doesn't respect me. My children don't respect me. And Jesus will ask, forget about all those things. Do you want to be made well? And he will say, pick up your mat. And walk. And this morning, God is telling some of you here, still in that place for 38 long years, trying and trying and trying and trying, even like Moses, 
tried for 38 years and he could also not enter into the promised land. He also perished in the wilderness. Trying and trying and trying. Trying to work, trying to please your husband or your wife or your children or your boss or your pastor. Whatever it is, you're a slave. Acknowledge that this morning and say, Lord, I'm a slave. I'm a slave, Lord. I'm a slave to public opinion. Lord, my inner life and my outer life don't match at all. I have an outward form of godliness, but there is no power inside of me. Lord, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And God will tell you this morning, pick up your mat and walk in the name of Jesus and be made whole. And then be found in his temple every Sunday because Jesus found that man in the temple. And he said, do not forget where you came from. Otherwise, something worse will happen to you. Do not sin anymore. And that's exactly what happens every Sunday, Sabbath after Sabbath. The exhortation is, do not sin or something worse will happen. Continue in that rest. Continue start. Continue to walk in that straight and narrow path. If you have fallen, confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Stay in that rest and continue to walk with him. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. All you have to be is to walk before God. And God will say, Abraham, walk thou before me and be thou blameless. Father, this morning, I commit each one of us into your hands. Father, some of us have to still enter into that rest. We are not even born again. We are still striving. Father, Enable us to look at the cross. Enable us to look at the cross, Lord. Enable us to survey the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross when on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and I pour contempt on all the opinions of men about me. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ, my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice to his blood. Because I see from his head, his hands and feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown. Where the whole realm of nature mine, where an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Father, you are worthy. Lord, we have wasted time, Lord. Sufficient time in living for the lusts of the flesh. But Lord, we want to live the rest of the time for the will of God. Lord, enable us to pick up our mat and walk this morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Heal your children, O Lord. Let them enter into that rest. Thank you, Father. Commit all of us into your hands, O Lord. Even as we go through the rest of the week, Lord, let us look at Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us not look to the left or to the right. Let us look at your work on the cross, the cross before me, the world behind me, and enable us never to look back. 
in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Father, for this time that you've blessed us with. I commit every one of your children into your hands. Please, the blood of Jesus over our lives. And even as we leave from this place, Father, let your word continue to burn in our hearts and enable us to enter into that rest. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.